0: The scripture this morning is from Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thanks, Julia. It's the English invasion this morning. (laughs) Lovely to have a beautiful accent like that. So thank you for reading. That was a bit biased on my part when I asked Julia to read for us. I just want to say before we dive into the message, uh, thanks for those who came out yesterday to the Raising Disciples workshop. I know for those who were there, it was really meaningful and part of our hope as a community is always to ask, how do we see discipleship work through every facet of our community. We talk a lot about family, and that's because we believe uh, scripture is a familial story. And so in that sense, how do we see our children and all ages be discipled? So thanks for those who came, and also for thanks for those who volunteered with our children yesterday. I have a confession, that's never good, first up in a sermon, but our family has a bit of a problem that we're going through in our household. I will call it selective hearing. So basically what happens is if we mention dessert or pizza or Minecraft or recently escapist, I know I'm with the times, um, that means everyone shows up pretty quickly, into our living room, because we love that. But when we mention washing up, chores, having to walk the dog, watching BBC costume dramas, you can see what that is, people are not so quick to show up to what's going on. I've realized recently, in the midst of that, I also have a similar problem in my walk with Jesus. See, I love things like grace, grace, I love the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. I love the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love the love, I love the love of Jesus. And then I read things in the Sermon on the Mount like fasting, giving all my possessions away, and loving enemy. And I realized this week I also have selective hearing when it comes to the way of Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about loving our enemy. And I would argue this is the most radical teaching of Jesus. We're in the Sermon on the Mount as a community and Dave did a brilliant job last week of talking about our treasure in heaven and what it looks like to actually steward our finances knowing that it, that our money doesn't actually belong to us. And I was deeply challenged by that message last week. And this week we come to Jesus' teaching on enemy love. We also need to bear in mind the context, as we said a few weeks ago. Jesus is talking to the Jewish people who've all gathered on this hillside. Many who are broken, hurting, need healing of disease. This is a community who've been oppressed and are currently oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so Jesus starts out with the Beatitudes, which seems a beautiful, poetic way to start. He talks about being salt and light in the world. How we're meant to engage in our relationships. And then to this community, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I just want to point out, those words are as jarring then as they are today. When we look around our world over the last couple of hundred years, we see what happened in Nazi Germany. We see ongoing trouble with racial hatred. We see things like the genocide in Rwanda. Even closer to home, we see a stabbing in a high school last year and just this week a shooting of a seven-year-old boy in our neighborhood. What does Jesus have to say in terms of loving enemy that would be appropriate for our world today? And maybe you're asking this morning, is this an impossibility? because I've wrestled with that this week. If you have the, your Bible, I joke often, it's always good to carry to church. Uh, you can turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 43. And we're just gonna look at this and unpack the words of Jesus this morning and see maybe what he was talking about in the context he was writing. And also what this means for us as we live the way of Jesus in Hamilton in 2020. I wanna say pretty clearly, it struck me this week, This isn't just a good idea. And this isn't even just a myth that Jesus is saying, hey, here's some really interesting words that'll gather a crowd together. Jesus is saying, this is possible if you follow me. Verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you're listening to that and saying, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, is that in the Bible? Maybe it's one of those obscure books of the law that I just haven't read recently, but that seems pretty harsh. No, that is not in the Bible. Jesus is actually quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And this is what that says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus is quoting the law and saying that it was said, Love your neighbor. Now, there was a debate at the time of Jesus about who is our neighbour. We see that in the context of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the Jews are asking, well, who is my neighbour? Is my neighbour those people that are like me, that I get along with, that understand and interpret the law like me? And Jesus is saying, which was common from the law, no, neighbour means anyone. So what had happened and had seeped into Jewish culture at the time was this phrase, love your neighbour But hate your enemies. That was actually a common cultural phrase as a way to distinguish who was for us and who was against us. And so Jesus, as all good rabbis, says, You have heard it said, but I say. What Jesus is doing beautifully is saying, As we love people, we turn people from an enemy into a neighbor. This is a deeply radical teaching. Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus, again, is being really interested. He's, there's a single and plural thing that's going on here. It actually says, hate your enemy. And Jesus says, love your enemies. And what Jesus is doing is saying, you don't get to choose who your enemy is. Enemy means everyone. Everyone who is against you or you feel you're against. So Jesus is saying your enemy is someone who's personal. So maybe it's a coworker, an actual literal neighbor where you live, or even a family member, and those who are national enemies too. Jesus is using this word and saying all those people that we're against are our enemies i want to make this practical this morning because this teaching can be pretty abstract because we can think, well, obviously there's these people I don't like because of the way they're perpetuating oppression in the world. But let's pause for a moment and just think today, if Jesus was showing up, who would you see as your enemy? Those people maybe are holding at arm's length. If I mentioned their name this morning, you would know there's enmity towards them. Maybe even those people, you read their posts on Facebook and you roll your eyes and write them off. Now, when we talk about loving enemy this morning, one of the problems is if you're like me, you say, well, that's okay. So what you're saying is I'm meant to be nice to those people who are perpetuating evil in our world. I'm meant to be tolerant towards them. And I think that's because we've misunderstood the word love. See, love in our culture is equated to niceness. Just to point out, niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't show up there. But we think that we've got to be nice towards people, and we just let them get away with their behavior. But love is not niceness in this context, and love isn't necessarily just related to a feeling. Now, in the Greek, there's many different words for love, but one of the words for love is agape, which is unconditional sacrificial love. And that is the word that Jesus is using here. And this word is tied as much to our will as to our feelings. I heard someone say this about agape love. Agape love means to bend your will to the good of another person, even if it's ahead of your own, and even if it's costly to you. I'm going to read that again so you're as troubled as I was this week. It means to bend your will to the good of another person, even if it's ahead of your own, and even if it's costly to you. I was thinking a lot about sacrificial love and agape love uh, this week and actually doing a bit of a history check on certain people that have inspired me and people throughout history on how we love others. And I was reminded of the book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who many of you may know was uh, in a Jewish, uh, he was a Jew in a Nazi concentration camp. And saw most of his family members die and went through extreme suffering. And in this book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about how do we find hope in the midst of the most awful suffering. And he says this, love is the only way to grasp another human being in the innermost core of his personality. No one can become fully aware of the very essence of another human unless he loves him. By his love, he is enabled to see the essential traits and features in the beloved person and even more he sees that which is potential in him which is not yet actualized but yet ought to be actualized furthermore by his love that loving person enables the beloved person to actualize these potentialities by making him aware of what he can be and what he should become he makes sense these personality he makes these potentialities come true As I reflected on this, I was thinking about niceness and the way we've used that in our society and that contrast with love. And I think one of the words we use a lot in Canadian culture and we love it is this word tolerance. And we think actually to love someone is to tolerate them. I was sharing with some friends at St. Clair this week that I was reading the theologian Stanley Howawas, who talks about the fact that tolerance isn't in the Bible And Jesus doesn't say we're to tolerate people. He says we're to love them. And someone came up after one of his lectures and said to them, I heard what you said, but by saying we're to love people, what if someone threatens to kill you? And Stanley Howell said, you mean like Jesus? Now I'm aware some people here, when I talk about loving enemy, it causes a reaction, because many of us have suffered deep pain. We've had people who've wronged us. There's people here I know have gone through things that are so awful. And so I'm not saying just click your fingers, as I said, and just be nice to them. I don't think Jesus is also saying we should let people perpetuate evil. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is actually to confront someone and not let them get away with that behavior. But we should always confront someone with love and not with violence. Jesus is saying here, love your enemy. These words are radical because it goes against the grain of our culture. When we think about uh, loving others, we don't think of the way we often respond. Even in our culture, when we think about enemy, a natural response is to either bomb them Financially strangle them or imprison them, and even on a personal level, what do we do if we have an enemy? We either tweet about them, post them on Instagram, or we gossip or we backstab. And normally the response is, "Well, you don't understand who they are and what they've done." But the currency of Jesus and His kingdom is love. A friend passed on a teaching to me last week. And in the middle of it, this pastor said something very profound. He said, to Jesus, love is the metric. See, the metric is how we measure things. And he went on to say, if we're really honest, when we think about how we measure things in our churches, it's how many people show up to the prayer meeting, how many people in small groups, How many people give on a Sunday? How many people show up to gatherings like this? And if they're all going well, then we're like, oh yeah, I think people are growing and there's some good metrics. And he said, what if our primary metric in our churches was love and how we treated one another? And he went on to say, why have we not discipled people in the way of love? We've discipled them in many other ways. And Jesus is saying here, loving God and loving neighbor are completely intertwined. You cannot love God in the abstract. Loving God always is connected to how we love and treat our neighbor. I'm going say, uh, I'd like to say this this morning you can be doctrinally sound which means you can know lots about the Bible and be really well read and know lots of the Hebrew and the Greek and point out where everyone's wrong in their theology and you cannot be loving. I would also say you can be so passionate about justice and wanting justice in the world and also not be loving. I see that in a lot of places where there's people like, but this is what the Bible says, but they actually use it as a way to beat people up and not love them. But I also said people who say, we're so passionate about justice, we'll do everything to railroad other people. In fact, the beauty is when I was thinking about that this week, it wasn't even me who came up with that. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is a brilliant text for weddings, although Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, if you had that at your wedding, it's still a great text. But Jesus is talking to the church in Corinth, and he would say something like this, you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels and know all mysteries, doctrine, but if you don't have love, what does it matter? He also then goes on to say, because most people are like, that's brilliant, those Conservative doctrinal people, they're getting a bit of a bashing from Paul. And then he says, you can give your body, you can give everything away and also not be loving. See, Jesus' teaching is annoying because it encompasses all of us. And then Jesus goes on to say this. In verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, that you may become children of your father in heaven. See, so when we ask, why should we love our enemies like that? Is that even possible? Jesus is saying, when we do it, we become more like God. Because that is what God is like. He's the one who died for his enemies. This week uh, was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so when I heard about that, I went back and started doing some reading on Martin Luther King Jr. And I found one of his sermons on love your enemies. And I thought it was a bit too copyright to read the whole thing this morning. Because I was like, oh, that's way better than mine. But uh, I thought that wouldn't be fair. So I thought I'd take part of it. Because his radical way of living and loving those who oppressed uh, just the black population in the U.S. is so countercultural, even to how we respond today. And the middle of this sermon that he gave in Detroit in 1961 said this. We will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. And so put us in jail and we will go in with humble smiles on our faces, still loving you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit morally, culturally and otherwise for integration and we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at midnight and drag us out on some wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead. Sound familiar to the Bible? And we will still love you. But be assured, we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we will win our freedom. But not only will we win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and make our victory a double victory. This seems to me the only answer and the only way to make our nation a new nation and our world a new world. Love is the absolute power. What if the people of Jesus thought this was real? and thought this is actually the way to follow Jesus will it cost us absolutely we know what happened to martin luther king jr and i would say pretty clear this morning we need wisdom i know again as i said for some of you there's certain relationships or things that have been done to you that are toxic and painful and there's relational dynamics that i don't know about But I do want to say really clearly, safety and comfort is not the ultimate goal in the kingdom of God. Our highest goal is to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. I'm going to wrap up in a few moments, uh, but I just want to keep going in this passage, just highlight a couple of other things. Jesus goes on to say, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Jesus is great because he talks about loving enemy. And then he goes on to use two types of people, pagans and tax collectors, which most people know they're the most, uh, they're the people that the Jews would pour scorn on a lot. They would say, oh, they're the lowest of the low. And Jesus says, oh, the pagans and the tax collectors, they love people who love them. And they even greet people who greet them. We need a much higher standard. And I would say for the people of God, that is the same in our church community. What do we normally do? Who agrees with me? Let's circle the wagons and hang out together. Oh, do you like this style of worship? That's great. Me too. I'll come and hang out with you. Oh, you like this way of doing things at church? We'll hang out together. And Jesus is saying, anyone can do that. The way of Jesus is to embrace those who are different. To us, I was thinking about greeting people this morning. As I was coming to church, I love to greet people. It's one of the things I like to do when new people come in. But I was thinking, actually, greeting is noticing someone. When we greet people, what Jesus is saying is, do you take the time to notice someone else, or is your natural response just to gather with those who are like you? And Jesus says, anyone can do that, but the way of Jesus, even on a practical level is something different altogether. So what does this mean for us in Hamilton in 2020? There's three things that I wrote down that are maybe just a practical way to think about starting this process of loving enemy. And I do want to say, I hope this message in some ways is... um, making us uncomfortable because it made me so uncomfortable this week prepping for it. And here's why I think it's uncomfortable. We often think this applies to someone else. I've people say to me, "Um, can you believe how that person is treating someone else? And they talk to me really honestly. And I rarely go online, but if I'm ever online, I then see something they posted. I'm like, oh, You know, this is incongruent with what you just said. Now, again, I'm not saying everyone is perfect, but I think this probably has merit for all of us. Here's three things that I was struck by this week. The first one, Jesus says it in the text, so it's super helpful and practical. We're to pray for people. That's always a starting point. And now I don't mean, Matt, I'd love to pray for my enemy because I have a whole lot of stuff lined up that I want to pray for them. Like I pray that uh, they have some terrible accident this week or they pour burning coffee over them when they go through the drive through or something like that. Jesus is saying here, pray the blessing of God into their life. Because here's what I think Jesus is saying. When we pray for them, it actually changes how we view them. A few years ago, I was helping two people who were sharing a house together. And when I was at my first church, Grindstone, and they basically were in the same house, but they'd given up talking to one another and were just treating each other awfully. So I sat down with one of them who's a friend of mine. And he said, he basically went on a rant for an hour of what was wrong with the other person. And it was one of those pastoral moments. I thought, I don't know what to say. And out of the blue, I just said, oh, how are you praying for him? And he smiled at me and he said, oh, that would be a good start, wouldn't it? So how do we pray for people? The second is, I think it's to welcome them. To actually, once we've prayed for them and we are in a position to start to have some kind of way of Jesus towards them, is to actually welcome them and have a face-to-face conversation. My friend reminded me this week that in Psalm 23... David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I wonder if that's an allusion to eating with your enemy. I heard a guy say once, I love this quote, when you eat together, you have to put down your weapons in order to eat. And I wonder if the way of Jesus is to actually take time to be in the presence of somebody else else and to eat with them, or maybe in our context, have a flat white. So pray for them, welcome them, and in welcoming them over a meal, here's the last one. I think we need to listen well. My first response when I'm annoyed with someone is to tell them why I'm annoyed with them. And sometimes when I listen to them, I realize there's actually something more going on there. Again, when you do that, it doesn't mean you agree with where they're coming from. But I would always say, seek first to understand, not be understood. That just seems to be the way of Jesus. So pray with pray for people, welcome them, and then listen to them. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And the table is the ultimate place of showing what enemy love is like. See, Jesus says, if you love your enemy, you'll start to become like God. And here's what God is like. Jesus will go on to die for his enemies. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, when we recognize that we are enemies of God, and Jesus died for us in order to rescue us and set us free, how much more should we do that for other people? When we know how much we've been rescued, it allows us to give grace to others. And the table is the place we're reminded of that, of Jesus' death on the cross that reconciled us back to himself. Jesus isn't offering us try harder Christianity. Jesus is saying when we know that we're loved deeply, it allows us to love others it's interesting that Jesus says the one who has been forgiven much will love much see we sing for joy not just because we want to be upbeat and lively we sing for joy because we know I have been forgiven so much how can I not be excited about that I'm just gonna close uh, with a blessing. Each week we say a benediction and just as uh, Martin Luther King had better words than me, Paul seems to have some better words than me as well. And I'm just gonna read 1 Corinthians 13 over us this morning. Jesus says, love your enemy. And many questions could be, so what does love look like? St. Clair, as you go this week, may you know this love and may you show it to others. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Love never fails. St. Clair Community Church, as you go this week, may we show love to all of those around us. Grace and peace.